Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we have, <clears throat> we have Eunice Noel Wagoner, um, president of the Center of Design for an Aging Society. This should be a good one. Um, graduated from the University of Oregon with an interior architecture degree. The first half of her career involved interior and lighting design for public buildings and commercial spaces. The second half, she's been addressing the needs of older adults. Focused on lighting for aging, vision, and health through the Center of Design for an Aging Society, not-for-profit organization she founded. She was the founding chair of the Illuminating Engineering Society's Lighting for Older Adults and Low Vision Population Committee. She continues to serve on the IES committee, um, contributing to different standards. Um, on this show, we're going to discuss this in depth. Uh, how, you know, lighting distributors can contribute to that space through an understanding of these types of problems. Um, she's done some work with Brown University, uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, Center of Design for an Aging Society, and so on and so on. We'll get more into that as the show goes on. This should be a good one, like I said. But before we go there, Greg, we got to go to led-llc.com. That's light efficient design, brother. That's right, for their Flex Color Shoebox and Wallpack Retrofit. You can switch between color temps from 3K, 4K, and 5K. Uh, four different wattages, 30, 50, 80, 110, so up to a 400-watt replacement. It has a fan and thermal sensor built into it, so it runs cool, ensures a long life, and it's rotatable and directional. One of the best retrofits I ever did in a wall pack and in an uh, area light was a directional uh, retrofit like this. I drive by it still every night. Just about because it's in my hometown area, and it looks awesome. So check these guys out. Never copycats, always original. Go to led-llc.com. They're always cooking up something swanky, those guys, eh? They do, and always. Of course, proud members of the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. Greg, I heard there's some big news coming in with Isn't something it? going on in September. That's right. We're going to be doing our nailed convention back in person, finally together, and we're going to be doing it in conjunction with... Arclight Summit. So two for one. Two for More one. More details to come. Go to NAILD.org. That's right, nailed.org. But for right now, Eunice, welcome to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I appreciate the invitation. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Um, Greg, you know, why don't we kind of unpack some of the technical things that you want to talk about before we dive deeper into the topic? Yeah, I guess, first of all, you read at the bio, but why did you start the Center of Design for an Aging Society? Why and when did you start it? Well, I started it, um, this will reveal how long I've been in the business. I started it in 1992, and it started because, um, well, I have a lot of caring about older people, and I could tell by my grandparents that lighting was really an issue for them. And so I started just paying attention in going through care facilities, seeing what their lighting was, and did I feel that it was meeting the needs of the older people? But of course, I didn't have a background. So there's a library right close to where I live called the Devers Eye Institute, where they gave me free access to their medical journal and uh, their library. So that's where I first started educating myself about aging vision, eye diseases, all those kinds of things. So uh, 
once I understood that, then I was aware of the regulations that they had in the state of Oregon for nursing homes that it was just all mixed up, you know. And so we formed a um, ad hoc committee with anybody that had anything to do with lighting or energy use or whatever. They were there at the table and that was both the nonprofit and the for-profit nursing home administrations or long-term care administrations. So uh, from that, we hashed out what we thought would be the best appropriate light level for given areas. And that actually formed the basis of the first IES document. We did tweaking once we got more professionals on our committee, uh, like Dr. Alan Lewis and people who really understood vision from a optometric standpoint and as well as lighting. So it started there and from then on, the, I, I petitioned the IES to form that separate committee and Rita oh, Harold agreed to that. And so that's when we got started. Very good. And the IES document you're talking is, is that the recommended practice 28, RP28? Right, RP28. It was first published in 1998. It took us about six years to come up with all the research background to document why we were saying what we were saying. And uh, so then it, it's been updated many times since that time. So the current one is um, RP2820. Oh, I should have meant to have a copy of it here. I've got one back there but <laughs> oh, no to problem. show you. But yeah, so anyway, it's, it's the what um, is a, it's an ANSI standard, so if anyone wants to know what lighting is appropriate, they would go to that document. Um, and it, they also use it in a court of law. So if there's a lawsuit that, you know, is there enough light? And they say, well, let's go to the IES document, and that's where it is. Very good. But it is difficult. Uh, it, go ahead. Oh, no, you, you continue, please. Well, I was going to say it's difficult to uh, get it all implemented because every state has the ability to do their own senior care regulations. And so that's it, all over the map. And so we, we did mail a copy of the recent RP to every state regulator. So we'll see if that takes hold. But it's also recognized by the... Um, FGI guidelines. So it's getting out there and other people are referencing it. Yeah, and I think that's one of the questions I had is those RPs is, is how do you get them to actually stick and, and people to follow through? I, and I think the name alone, recommended mm. practice, it needs to be like <laughs> the law. <laughs> Demand, Rule yeah, demanded. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, I'll I'll tell you, I would like to start with the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. That's the governmental official. They can write code that sticks, and they they have um, their rules apply to any care facility that receives funding from them, and they pay for seventy five percent of all the long term care in the United States. So, I mean, that would be a nice big stick to have. But so far, they are talking about lighting in terms of adequate and comfortable. <laughs> well, that doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> mm. for, for who? You know, staff, older people? 
know, somebody that's blind. No, it's it's very frustrating. The you know, uh, there, there's a bunch of different directions. You can go with the balkanization of standards, which is a problem in with almost every lighting issue is that mm -hmm. there are so many different layers of ordinances and codes and, and regulations that are out there. The biggest problem I see though, Eunice, is that the stock of elderly and care homes is already built. And when the environment is already built, they've probably already done an LED retrofit at some point, or at least 50% of them or some massive amount of them have already upgraded lighting in the last 10, 15 years. If it, if it wasn't LED, they went from T12 to T8 or something. They've already invested in lighting. And these money is scarce in these kinds of places. And so, yes. you know, they're, they're after energy savings. Um, I was just in a, in a city-owned care home here uh, in Toronto and very poor light levels. You're talking about, you know, two GU13 CFLs for four beds in the middle of the room, no table lights, nothing. Um, you know, so th this is an issue. I think that, that it's very difficult to address the existing building stock because once the building is already built, then you're, you're, you're kind of fighting for funds with other priorities that usually in these cases go to medical decisions, hospital types of beds, nursing staff and everything else. How are you go how do you, how is it possible to fight for the dollar in that situation or is it largely almost a lost cause in some some instances? Well, if you want to write off our senior population, it <laughs> is a lost cause. And uh but I I won't. And um uh, when you realize that 43% of all the deaths from um, uh, COVID occurred in the United States in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. Now, it is a medical issue. Nocturnal sleep is very important to support the immune system. And it's just notorious that uh, care facilities um, have particularly nursing homes and some assisted living, that it's, they, other presentations that have been given talk about starved for darkness. Well, these folks are starved for light and darkness. The research points out that the, the lack of highlight levels during the day, which you could take people outside, right? But highlight levels or low light levels during the day, they're missing the highlight level that they need to synchronize their circadian rhythm. And then at night, they have too much light and too much noise at night. So it's keeping people awake. So to me, the beauty of the research that I did with Brown University and uh, Pacific Northwest National Laboratory really documented that we could save energy because what we wanted to do is reduce the light level at nighttime so that you didn't have light pollution going into the patient's bedroom from the corridor where the staff is. Because we dimmed that light down from, we, they had LEDs that uh, were installed by the um, Sacramento Municipal Utility District. 
it wasn't anything we designed. We were just measuring how effective that was. Mm-hmm. But we did document that we saved energy as well as we improved sleep at night simply because we were changing the color to a warm, buttery, amber color, and we dimmed it down 20%. So it saved money over what they had with their fluorescent system when they turned off every other light. The issue of ROI is going to haunt the lighting business for a long time. We've spent 20 years selling lighting systems based on financial returns um, on energy savings for so Mm -hmm. long. Every, you know, and we've done an excellent job penetrating those ideas into the consumers. So whenever they think of changing lighting, they're doing it to save money, cash. Um, That's going to be hard for for our industry to overcome. When you're looking at these situations, you know, we've talked to many people, Eunice, who, who talk about circadian rhythm and increased performance and all these sorts of things. Is it, do you know, or is it just a gut instinct or what is it for you? I believe that all the benefits of circadian everything, the, there's only one benefit and that's better sleep. And then from better sleep, you get the, okay, you get the other benefits or ancillary to that. So you get better sleep and then you're more alert. You're, 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 you feel better during the day. You're able to accomplish your tasks better. And so the idea of, of just focusing on sleep as the key metric um, for circadian and then letting the rest fall where it may, um, is that something that you agree with or are you, do you think that there's other, other things going on there? Well, I, I don't agree with it uh, fully because it's so important to experience that light and dark cycle. And the, we, in our research, we said that we focused on sleep because we knew that the light levels from the LED system that was installed wasn't bright enough, wasn't intense enough. So when LEDs first came on, they were saying, well, maybe we don't have to have the light as bright as we thought we did before when we were using fluorescent because we can color tune it to the wavelength that impacts the uh, Um, IPRGC the most. Well, that's partly why we were doing this research is to prove out what everyone thought would be happening. But what we, by doing the, measuring the light that these residents experienced in the corridors is where the light was put. And they did put, not tunable, but they did put uh, other lighting in the dining room we found that these residents had higher light levels in the dining room than they did in this whiz-bang LED tunable, dimmable system in the corridor because you have to be in the corridor to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. But guess what? People were in the dining room three times a day. And so Mm -hmm. my point is uh, a lot of the old stock that you talk about was single-story, you know, buildings, Mm -hmm kind of in the community. Well, let's put skylights in the dining room. You know, it's, you know, limited scope. Get the skylights so that you aren't having to pay. It's no longer an energy bill that you're Mm -hmm. looking at, but, and it's already timed. I can't tell you the problems we had getting the, the control system to work correctly in the (laughs) research study because the 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 main computer was tied to the guy in maintenance well he went on vacation and his computer went to sleep and so we thought 
this, you know, something's wrong here. And so we, we were going to have uh, four month periods to do the research for the static and the tunable. And then we did a crossover study. So then we were going to do the other people with just the reverse of what we'd done before. But we had to cut it down to two months for each cycle because of this lost time that we had because the computer went to sleep. So it's, if you, if you have a skylight and you've got daylight coming yep. in, you don't have to tune mother nature. She knows what yeah, she's doing. Yeah. So that's exactly the, my next question. You kind of semi answered my next question. So I'm a big believer in sun tunnels and skylights. Um, I think that they're fantastic. Um, and they're way underutilized by lighting professionals and that the two things should start to merge together uh, as, a, as mm -hmm. a practice. But my question would be, can you really, you get a sun tunnel in, in, a, in a kid's bedroom or someone's bedroom. During a sunny day or even a cloudy day, there's so much light pouring through the sun tunnel. You, the, the artificial light or the electric light can't even compete with it. Like you, you can't right. even sometimes see it because the, the, there's so right. much natural light coming in into the space. If can we even try, I mean, I understand you want to increase light levels, but is it possible to even replace that with electric light sources? Or is it just, we got to get sun tunnels, windows, skylights, and people outside on a regular basis? Um, I would say I believe in sun tunnels because my mom's got one in her bathroom and I know exactly what you're talking about. However, if you want older eyes need even and consistent light levels. So if you've got a sun tunnel here and another one 20 feet away, you aren't going to have even and consistent light levels. Part of the problem that these people who are installing these tunable LED systems are running into is that they forget basics of lighting design, have designed for your population. Older eyes are much more sensitive to glare. So you want high light levels because they don't get as much light on the retina. So you need higher light levels, but you need to do it in a way that it doesn't produce glare. The West, to me, I like direct indirect fixtures because you're lighting the spatial volume, not you know this down light kind of thing. So, um, and if it's a skylight, it needs to be diffused. You can't have bright beams of sunlight coming in because that's going to be glare and shadows. So it's it's knowing how to do it and designing for the clientele. And, and you said in general, you need more light as you age. Is there a, a graph or a chart that says when you're 40, you should do this, when you're 50, this, 60, this? Is it that simple or well, not simple? Well, it, it's when you're in the younger years, it's not as critical because your eyes can make the adjustment. But there is a graph in um, RP28 that says by the time you're 80 years old, which is the average age of people in long-term care, only one-fifth of the light reaches the retina as it did when you were age 20. Oh. So, yeah, it's, it's staggering. People don't, you know, if you haven't experienced yourself or uh, watched somebody try to negotiate a space that has a uh, that is older or vision impairment, uh, you don't really grasp the the magnitude of the problem. Is, is it fair to say that while um, elderly folks and people in long-term care get out the least to the outdoors, that it's probably most important for them to, do, to get outside? 
it's absolutely important, not only for circadian rhythm, but for vitamin D synthesis, mm. which, which again, supports the immune system. So here, you know, I say we're the people in care facilities so vulnerable because of lack of light exposure, either in their eyes or uh, out on their bodies to, to keep their immune system in good shape. And how often are you guys getting into color temperatures when it comes to is it just light output and, and how much uh, light you need, or is it color temp too? Oh, get involved in? Thank you. No, we, <clears throat> pardon me, we've tried to follow the, the color temperature of the outside. So in the research project, we did 6,500K in the morning at full intensity in the tunable area. I, I should back up and say that what we were doing as we had a static lighting condition that was based on the old fluorescent system that had been there. And that had been 4,100K. So that's what we uh, gave the static um, group at the time. But then the tunable group, we did 6,500K from um, seven in the morning until four in the afternoon. We warmed it up a bit to 4,100K from four to eight, and then at eight o'clock is when it dimmed down to 20% uh, of the light during the day and changed to 2,700K. So it is finding? following, uh, I, can we direct people to uh, the published document? Because what of course, we, yes. like, okay, because um, the write-up that the um, PNNL did, is really a treasure trove of information, particularly if you want to know what metric was used. Well, we measured all, we compared all of them, and there's graphs to show that. So, um, the, um, you know, I can give you the reference uh, for that document and maybe even supply it as a PDF because it's kind of, it's published through the Department of Energy. And sometimes you get kind of get lost in the weeds trying to find it. So, so yeah, we'll, really... and we'll post that on the on the Get a Grip on Lighting website. But I, I'm excited to know, like, okay. what was the you had a base case, you had a you know two, you had the oh we static rest. okay yeah and we were only oh we could only say we had a benefit of sleep because we didn't have high enough light levels to have a benefit for alertness and you know. You know, reduce depression, and you know, there's other metrics that we were looking at, but we couldn't, we couldn't do all of them. We could only prove that we could improve sleep. That's and why. Did I you prove that? that? Did you? Did you? Yeah, we sleep? did. Yeah, right. Yeah. How did you improve? Tell they, me about how you know that you improved sleep. Oh well, they um, uh, interviewed people. They uh, interviewed staff. Oh, it was, and they, we were. Uh, Naomi and I were measuring light levels at all times of the day and night in each one of the phases. And then the team from Brown would come in and it's that area is not my area of expertise, but they were doing all the, the testing to see exactly uh, what the sleep was. But basically, it, we improved half of the, uh, yeah, we had... 63 people in the research portion and more than half of them greatly improved their sleep. 
twice versus versus the other group was zero or did you have another like did yeah, you have a they, control? yeah no they they compared it oh yeah that's why we okay. had a static group and the tunable group huh. so that we could compare both of those groups that's why i say that document is so full of rich information so, that, that's an incredible um improvement to quality of life if like it, oh if you're that, telling me yeah, I mean, if it, I mean, I keep going back to this with with the circadian folks is that just improve, just make it about improved sleep because we were talking about we we didn't have enough light to reduce depression, we didn't have enough light to create alertness. Improved sleep reduces depression. Improved sleep creates right. more alertness, and right. they I'm not even sure if we're capable of accomplishing that with electric light. It's not clear as far as the host of the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast has encountered, that there is anything other than improved sleep that can be accomplished with circadian. And that they're not, even if they're saying that, they're not sure if it's actually as a result of the light or an indirect benefit of improved sleep. And so I'm constantly asking people that sleep question over and over again. Well... I would like to say that we had instruments to measure improvements in uh, aggression, depression, all of those kinds of things, but it's based on language. And at the ACC Care Center, half of the residents were Japanese, half were Chinese, and the primary staff was from the Philippines. Three different languages. So when they're saying, well, are they swearing at you? Well, let me see. <laughs> they don't, I don't know the swear words in Japan and Japanese and Chinese. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. so, and that was one thing that uh, in the summary of what we learned is that uh, we need different instruments or we need to have a common, if you, if everybody spoke the same language, uh, then it wouldn't have been such a problem, but you look at the care staff and they are people from other countries or, you know, different than the population possibly. Not all the time, but. You know, I can't, I can't understand half the people that speak English. So I don't even know if they're speaking the same <laughs> language anyway. So. Well, well, I was going to say there was one project that I was on in North Carolina and the maintenance guy would talk and I'd look at the researcher to say, what did he say? And I, because I couldn't understand it. So, but then I. Do you think, do you think at all? Will it ever get to the point where you are just going to prescribe what's needed? Mm -hmm. You know, you, mm -hmm. here's what we need, and here's what your day should look like, assuming you're inside or whatever it might be. Right. Well, I would like the each care facility has a medical director, and I have to say that the reason why we got to do this research was the medical director Scott Stringer at uh, the ACC Care Center. He was a total advocate for that. In fact, he would prescribe what he called the Sunshine Club. And if these people were having a hard time sleeping, he would have them go outside for 15 minutes or half an hour or whatever it was. He would prescribe it. That, and so since the doctor wrote the prescription, the staff made certain they got out there. So if we could get the medical directors to say this is an important health issue and get them to um, pick up the 
realize that it is a medical issue that we're talking about here. It's not, you know, a physical design thing like lighting. It, it really impacts these people's health and well-being, as you say. Uh -huh. Where, you know, medical directors, does every care home have a medical director? Is that like a, like the army has Whether a surgeon? They <laughs> yeah, well, wherever, with, you know, if some of the large chains probably have one medical director that serves multiple facilities. In this case, I think uh, Dr. Stringer had a few other facilities that maybe he consulted in, but he was the one that proposed the crossover study. He had been an emergency room physician and had uh, some research experience with another project in that hospital. And so he was the one that came up with the idea of a crossover study instead of just, you know, where we were testing the, um, the static lighting conditions with one group. And then the next time we would switch, they, the, that group would then have the tunable lighting in the next one so that we could compare the same person in different lighting conditions. What about choice? So, um, you know, I whenever I offer a client a dimmer or a tuner, they start off with five thousand K and then you come back it's always three thousand K and half the light. So if you give if you turn over control to somebody, they tend to want warmer colors all the time and less light. And so, um now I'm not talking about visually impaired people. I you know, not I'm not operating in that I, I've worked in a lot of care homes but never in the in that sense of circadian or trying to improve visual right. acuity for those with, you know, um, you know, whose eyes are not as once they once were, um, you know, how, but are we, are we taking away choice and, 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 you know, should the, the actual individual resident, do they have a right to choose or is it something we're going to say, no, you're just going to get hit with 6,500 K light. Cause I would hate that by the way, personally. Um, you're going to, you get 6,500 K it's going to be three or 400 lux and that's what you get. Cause that's, what's good for you. Is that how the best way to approach this is? Well, I would say if they had a private room, go for it. Mm. You have what you want, but if in the common area, if, if it's impacting everyone, Mm -hmm. then we need, that's where we need standards. We need guidelines. Mm. We need more research projects like the one that we did so that we could find out just what light level do these people need in order to synchronize their circadian rhythms. Do you have any research projects you're undertaking right now or having the works coming up? Well, uh, Brown and I are talking about the, the next research project. The one thing that I wanted to point out uh, that addresses the more recent research that comes out about, I said, too much light and too much noise at night. When we dimmed those lights down to 20% and turned the change to the color, it was a cue for the family to go home. It's bedtime. And the staff also quieted down. Well, we were there measuring light. We weren't measuring sound. Next time, we will be measuring sound because it's the twofold noise and light that keeps people awake at night. You mentioned earlier and in the conversation. Was... Yeah, you mentioned earlier in the conversation about starving for darkness. Um, the um, there's also a sense that there's a, a starving for silence. 
that's going on. And, and, um, in, 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 you know, you, there's the shuffling and the, so a lot of times in, in, um, long-term care, the doors to the rooms are left open too at night. That's another thing. And you can hear the pushing of carts, the beeping of different medical devices and all this, this sort of thing. And definitely silence and light are, you know, two things that go together at night that we, we as humans really want to have in order to be comfortable. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's, uh, I can give you some other research where they actually measured the decibel rating of the noise that the staff was making when they were in the corridor or doing this. And, and it would repeat like every two minutes, you know, like how well would you sleep if you had crashing and banging going on? I wouldn't sleep well at all. So I believe that that's true. And that I think there are other cases where sound really goes down once the lights are dimmed. So it's kind of like if you were, you had a baby in the house, You nobody wants to wake up the baby. They want the baby to sleep. Well, <laughs> we need to think about the, the older people as the same way. We want them to sleep. And, you know, it's interesting because we have an aging population, as, as we see in the news all the time in, in, the, in Western countries. Japan's quite a number of years ahead of us down this mm -hmm. path. But um, also the largest voting population in America is getting old, um, is uh, getting up there. I, I, oftentimes in my lighting career, what's really something that has helped me learn and grow, and I, I know Greg has mentioned this as well, is having a career in lighting gets you into every other facility. So I've been to mines, I've been to factories, I've been to old, um, you know, uh, long-term care centers, all these sort of things, mm -hmm. many of them, and being able to see the differences between different kinds of factories, mines, long-term care centers, commercial buildings, all this kind of stuff. Right. I think, I don't think most people know about how many long-term care homes there are and the difference in quality between some of the perhaps ones that are maybe not meeting the standard or <laughs> however you want to describe that to the maybe more elite homes that are out there. How can we make this equitable? Like, you know, the I'm certain the very elite high-end homes will, once this becomes cool, that there's like a Gucci suit value to this and they'll jump on board and say, yes, we got the circadian system in here and we're blasting them with 6,500K and they feel good. Everybody sleeps great and there's, it's quiet. But, you know, there's going to be most homes are going to fall into that middle tier where they're struggling for money and then there's going to be a whole bunch of people left behind. Is there any, do you guys ever talk about um, equity in terms of this or, you know, being able to really reach some of those areas that are, you know, very low budget? Well, to me, taking people outside is the best way mm. to give them the sure. light. You know, that that's not going to cost you any money. You can just tell your activity people to um, make certain that they plan activities outdoors. And maybe you have to have a, you know, if the weather isn't great, maybe you have something like a regular greenhouse, like you'd be growing plants, because that's going to give you the light for circadian as well as for vitamin D. So maybe it's a simple structure that keeps people warm, uh, blocks the wind, but still allows them to um, get what they need. You know, I think there's all kinds of ways of doing this. And, and um, there's also like doing an inventory of your uh, facility. 
can we do we have decorative draperies that are blocking the windows you know mm, <laughs> do we have sure, huh? uh, you know because right now uh, people judge um a facility on uh how how it looks and they say oh mom this dad this is a great place it looks like a nice hotel you love it well but a nice hotel is good to visit, but not to live there. And so, so many pe times people are fooled uh, by the, the decor of the place that uh, they don't ask the critical questions. The maybe a final question for me would be: Whenever I encounter the circadian question or human-centric lighting, whatever want to call it mm -hmm, right all the people that are super confident about their findings are always talking about elderly folks in care homes whether they be you know dementia and alzheimer's patient patients you know, sleeping or you know uh, andrew wilkerson talking about um, the hospitals and the nicu lab mm -hmm. and these types of places is there any do you believe that you know that is that is where we're going to have most of the gains of this and where they're most applicable? Or do you think there's ever going to be something hard that comes into, you know, the general population? Well, I think with COVID, everybody found out that we really needed to go outside and exercise. <laughs> you, you know, all of a sudden the outside took on a much greater importance, you know, taking my grandson to go ride his bike in the bike park because that way he could get outside and get exercise and uh, and still be safe. So, uh, and CMS has changed their visitation now to recommend outdoor visitation because you don't need all the, the mechanical gear going on if it's outside. So um, I think that it may be coming and, um, and it's not, I, I think a lot of people even uh, middle-aged people have some problems with sleep and you know you can go and find all kinds of sleep apps like do this meditation you know no chocolate after 12 <laughs> you know that kind of, uh, all kinds of things and you know have the right temperature and you know it's there's a lot of people out there that would benefit from something like this but they just have to know and you know, for me, it had been a problem early on in my life, and I understood that I needed to have the good light outdoors. And so um, when I'd go out and take my run first thing in the morning, even though in Portland, Oregon, it's overcast, there's still plenty of light out there. You know, it's not like you have to have blazing sun. Well, that's been, this is, uh, you know, I think the... Um beachhead of circadian greg and human-centric lighting is definitely in long-term care um eunice any final any final thoughts for the listeners uh, well just the fact that i'd like them to think about their families if they're being called upon to advise uh family members who are pl planning to take a move because i i'm glad that we're talking to the lighting industry because we need better products out there but we also need to take care of our families. And that's, to me, so important. 
Yeah, my mother will be 103 next month wow. in March. Wow. And she still lives at her own home and she still goes out and works with her garden and takes her walk and all of that kind of stuff. So, uh, of course, she planned ahead. She had five daughters, so we rotate <laughs> in and out so she can be at, at home. But not everybody can do that, I know. And so that's why I would like to see the long-term care facilities improve so that everybody's got the same care that my mom does. Here, here. Greggy. We got to go to led-llc.com, brother, for light efficient <laughs> <Okay>. design. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's right. Yep, the Flex Color Shoebox Wall Pack has a rotatable base, 3K, 4K, 5K, different wattages, and 347 volt or 480 volt for you Canadians. So check it out. So go check it out. Of course, our convention coming up in September, April 13th to 16th, Dallas, Texas, in, com in, con in combination with the Arclight Summit. That's right. Arclight Summit's getting nailed. They're getting together to throw a party. Um, register at nailed.org. And if you made it this far, I know I speak on behalf of Eunice and myself and Greg when I say thank you for listening. Bye for now.